Good evening, everybody. To God be the glory. Welcome, Lawrence, to the Lord's house. Thank you. Um, today, we uh, were blessed with some, uh, with a great generous donation, right, Shelly? Yes, sir. Uh, a guy heard me talking about what we do here. Well, I didn't tell him really what we do here. I was over visiting Brother Ron at the barber shop, and I guess they told him what we do here, and he came over here and blew me away. And he said, gave a little testimony about his life and how life was difficult for them growing up and, and how God helped him overcome it. And he said, I'd like to help you out here. And then he wrote a check for $1,000. What? <laughs> I mean, we, we love blessings like that. Because it couldn't have come at a better time. I, I was thinking, I said, Lord, we always spend so much money this time of year. For Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we literally spend hundreds of dollars uh, putting this uh, dinner on that we do annually, which you're welcome to come. And if you don't have a ride, let us know tonight, and we'll we'll make arrangements. And that's with our donation. And that's with our donation. What we buy out of our own pockets. Yeah. And so this morning, plus I was at the food bank this morning and picked up abundance of food and stuff, and. Uh, it was just a blessing, and as I was pulling around, so I had the trailer on, hooked to the van, I hadn't quite come up on, we were playing musical chairs tonight. Yes. Um, I get a phone call from my dear sister in Christ, Donna Rollins, you met her, one that sponsored us at the fair. Yeah, yeah. She called me, she said, Sammy, I want to tell you before you turn on Facebook and see it, because I know how you feel about this young lady. And I said, what? And she said, uh, Aurora Kirkpatrick was killed last night. And I just had to just stop the van. Um, I met this young lady about six and a half years ago. And she was, I don't think she was even a teenager then. Um, at Forest Grove. It was a difficult time for our family. We were transitioning from one church to the other. And uh, I never forget that little beautiful smile. And <clears throat> Brother Mark Spratler was the youth pastor. Brother Mark is a senior pastor now in Missouri. I talked with him this morning. I called him to see if anyone had talked to him. He said, yes, and uh, he said, man, I was just getting ready to call you to make sure you knew. Because we love this little jewel. And she's just a Yola and Emma, a very bright young lady, had been on several mission trips to Honduras. And the excitement of her life was to get through college and serve God the rest of her life, through missions and whatever else he wanted her to do. Some things we don't understand. And uh, I will tell you that in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 28, I think it is, it said, It is once appointed unto men to die, then the judgment. <laughs> Unless the Lord Jesus Christ come in our hour, all of us are going to go through that passage. And I learned a long time ago when Belinda and I, when Michael was five years old, we had a little boy live next, to, next door to us on Fort, Fort Meade. 
um, Maryland where I was stationed. I was a recruiter in Baltimore at the time. And a little boy next door named Jason um, needed a liver transplant. And I could recall we uh, really became friends, especially Belinda with the mom. And Michael accepted this little boy. Was like, he was the cutest little kid you could ever see, but his eyes stayed deep yellow. And But anyway, I come home one day from work and uh, the mom is screaming and panicking and crying and my wife is screaming and panicking. I'm going, what in the world is going on? Jason got a donor and they say it got to happen to the children's hospital in Pittsburgh in three hours. And he were Fort Meade, Maryland, 14 miles from Baltimore or, or DC. And so I tell you, God put the right people in the right place. I got on the phone and called the airfield, called the MP station, got it set up so they can transport. He made it, got his liver transplant. Everything went well. Uh, about, I don't know, maybe a week into it. Around two or three o'clock in the morning, there was a knock at my door. And I'm going, what in the world? And it was saying military police. I'm like, because that's what I was before I was a recruiter. And they said, we were told to hand you this note. I said, okay. And then it, it said, call me for the reference of passing, uh, the passing of my son. Jason had just died from uh, internal bleeding. <laughs> that night was a very difficult night. I told Linda I should have waited till she got to the bottom of the stairs because she, I think she fainted and I caught her coming down the stairs. But the hardest part was telling Michael because Michael loved that little baby like his own brother. Our oldest son is, how old is he now, Shelly? Michael's what, 35 now? What? He's 36? <laughs> no, he's not. Not 37, that means he's 36. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> you're an old thing. But when I called my pastor that night, I'm saying all this to let all you young people know that what Pastor wrote told me that night had never left me. And I use it in ministry all the time when I when I counsel people who have lost loved ones. And, it, and he knew right then, he said, Brother Sammy, that, that little baby passed, didn't he? I said, yes. I said, we just got the note. And he said, well, I said, Brother Sammy, look at it this way. Death is God's vehicle to bring his people home. And I never thought of it that way. And so with this little jewel last night, yeah, and she died alone in a single car accident last night. Tire blew out and the rest is, we know the results of that. Vehicle flipped and she was, she was dead at the scene. And uh, Evans Carter, just right down the road here, just received a body. Um, I talked with a father today. And um, he seemed to be in about as good spirit as he can because he said, I know where she's at. And he's, he was putting the rest of the uh, funeral stuff together. He said, he'll call me back. But it's, it's going to be Friday at Forest Grove. Brother Mark is flying in from Missouri to do the funeral. So, um, but God himself went through this with the eulogy of his own son. No man did 
the eulogy of Jesus like God did. No man mourned the loss of Christ. I'm sure the father's heart was grieved at the death of his son, but at the same time he knew that he would resurrect him. And that's the good news for us. And so uh, be in prayer for the Kilpatrick family. I can't even imagine having to bury a teenage daughter who's a senior in high school that loved Jesus with all of her heart. And she showed it too. She lived a life. She just didn't talk it. This child lived it. And so in a few moments, we are going to pray for her family. Also, at the same time, we're going to get the chance to see some stuff from the scriptures tonight that should blow your minds. Because this book of the Bible, the book of Ephesians that we're about to continue in from last week, we're picking up in chapter one. But folks, God did something amazing with this church. Because the man of God, Paul, when he wrote this letter, he was in jail. He was in prison in Rome. And this is one of the four letters that he sent out called, known as the prison epistles. Epistles, not pistol. Epistles. And um, what a powerful thing. And after having talked with you briefly today and having spoken with Deacon Clinton last night, I knew that God's timing for you was perfect in what you need to hear tonight. Because of all the books of the Bible, this is the only one that focus specifically for Christians in spiritual warfare. Not what the Lord did himself in the Gospels and what he had his disciples to do, but this is the church as a whole how we're to confront spiritual darkness and to let us know that it is a real war that goes on and that we have the power by simply putting on the armor of God and, and, and let you and I know that there are no cowards in God's army. No matter what the enemy throws at you and I, we're still able because of Jesus to confront the forces of darkness and still see victory. As I was telling this young lady back here yesterday, a year from a year ago, her life looked tragic. But look where God has brought her at now and the multitudes of blessings that been that's been coming her way. And then she did something so incredibly wonderful last night that I was so proud of her, what she did for her family last night. And to me, that's Christ growing in her. Amen. And God doesn't grow Christians on our timetable. He grows Christians on his timetable. And the Bible calls it sanctification. And this letter is such a powerful one because it gives us two aspects in which we can place hope in. One, 
is what God has done with the human race with his son Jesus. As the first three chapters covered. And in that, in those three chapters, the Apostle Paul highlights this one thing that is so incredible in Christ Jesus that even John wrote about it in his opening letter in the Gospel of John. He called it grace. Jesus Christ came with the fullness of God's grace. And by grace, Paul says, we are saved. Not through anything that you and I can do on our own. Those first three chapters capsulate that and explore our minds to see and help us to understand that when you have a nation that been set aside by God and then the rest of the world hangs out there by itself <laughs> called Gentiles and then there was absolutely hatred between the two nations the Jews and the Gentiles and through Christ's death he tore down as Paul we will see tonight or maybe a later time because I don't know how far we get tonight um, we'll see that the blood of Jesus tore down that dividing wall, that wall that separated us and made us what? One in him. So it took the two men, and I like the analogy that Paul uses. So he took the two men and made them what? One in Christ Jesus. That's just in incredible. Then it talks about the human transformation in chapter 3 of how your old person, when Christ called you, he took and turned your life around. And he gave you a, a new beginning, new way of living. And then the rest of that we see is what Christ has taught us has now become practical. And it's in that everyday application of life that people say, oh, that person is different. That person is different. What makes them different? And then you get to say, Jesus, that's why I'm different. And so... That's the highlight of this book, closing out itself, telling you and I, you know, on earth, there's another battle goes on, an unseen battle. And you cannot be ignorant of this unseen battle, this unseen world. And it tells us this by saying that we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood. And he was thinking, probably thinking of a Roman wrestler at this time, or a Greek wrestler. It's called Greco-Roman wrestling style. So we adopted a lot of our wrestling techniques from. But anyway, um, when Paul is looking at this, he, he's telling you and I, hey, listen, folks, you're going to be in a battle. But you're not going to be battling another human. Even though sometimes you see human agents being used, but their battle is, a, is with spiritual forces, he says. Spiritual wickedness where? In high places. That means that's bigger than me and you. Amen. However, our help is bigger than those. <coughs> and we get to draw from that, and he just goes on. Then he calls them out. And sometimes those territorial demons known as principalities will attack you, especially when you're in position as a deacon, a deacon's wife, 
a pastor, a pastor's wife, even a youth leader, upcoming powerful youth leader. Uh, they want to stop you in every aspect of the way, in every area, every step along this journey. Amen. They want to stop you. Okay, do not want you to succeed. And that's why the Holy Ghost showed me not long ago, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, remember when I came back and told you all, why did Satan go to the Garden of Eden in the first place? And people said, to get back at God. And I said, it may be true. But why did he really go? Because he knew about the commandment that God had gave man. He said, do not eat from the tree of the what knowledge of good and evil from the you say for the day that you eat thereof you shall what surely what die. die and what was the first claim that the enemy came and told Eve in their discourse he said Look, you didn't die. he said you shall not what you shall not die what was he doing he was setting them what he was setting them up to what to die because he had heard the commandment so he didn't even want the human race to advance because there was only two humans on earth and if he could take them out right then guess who would own this world he would and we know that through Luke's recording of, of Jesus' temptation with him in the wilderness when Satan took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and they said if you would do what worship me I will give all these to you, for they have been given to me. And so the Lord, the Lord is so wise how he lets us know the enemy plots, his schemes, his strategies against us. And so we don't have to worry because the armor of God cannot be penetrated by the evil one. That's right. That's why Paul said by the Holy Ghost, put it on. It's your protection. And even though you get knocked upside the head, it's not going to kill you. And Jesus himself said, do not fear him who's able to kill the body, what? Only. But fear him who's able to kill both body and soul, where? In hell. Yeah. Good stuff in the Dick Glenn. What's your bandana on in church? Oh, put it back on. <laughs> anyway. Some things you have to overlook. As we prepare our hearts and mind to go to the Lord in prayer, I want you to understand that this life here it's just a temporary one. We're on a journey. And remember what Father Abraham said. We're going to go into chapter 2 today. We're starting chapter 2 today. Ephesians? Mm-hmm. I'm something to me. Maybe I need to back up just a little bit. And... I'm going to have to pull this sweater off because it is uh, starting to roast me. Well, her pastor did too. Um, do know that 
as Father Abraham said, will pilgrims just what? Passing through. And he meant that. This life is just a temporary one. Uh, brother, a million didn't come because he doesn't like driving at night, and I can understand that with his condition. And Sister Vicky thinks she's coming down with a bug, and Brother David is still weak. And so that means Miss Marie is probably there taking care of him. So there's several folks that need to be touched by the Lord. And she doesn't like, and let me tell you, those that ever written with Miss Marie would know that it is a danger to drive with her during the day and certainly at night. Okay, Father, forgive me. We're in Bible study. It's just not a safe thing, okay? That's why I never heard any more rides. <laughs> okay. Lord, 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 we're not going to roast Miss Marie tonight. <laughs> Bless her heart. She definitely drives with a head. Okay, yeah. We'll, we'll leave that there. Anyway, let's get ready to go before the Lord in prayer. And remember that the audience that the Lord has given us is beyond this room. Uh, what a blessing that we uh, well followed in Great Britain, Philippines, uh, people in California favors us, and Kentucky and the state of Florida, and a little hits here and there otherwise, but those are uh, the favorite ones. So, and our prayers as we get ready to pray is that people's eyes will be open to the gospel of Jesus Christ, <laughs> the gospel of life. And that Jesus Christ would never take you where he can't keep you. Okay? The Lord Jesus Christ on the night in which he was betrayed said these words to his father. He said, Father, all those that you have given me, I haven't lost none except the son of perdition, meaning son of destruction. That was Judas. And the reason why the Lord lost him is because he never had him in the heart. Judas never accepted Jesus in his heart. And so, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you now in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Dear Lord, thanking you for the glorious presence of Christ. This Bible study is all about him, Heavenly Father, and about glorifying your holy name. The people that you brought here tonight are not here by coincidence. They're here by divine appointments. And Lord Jesus, we're asking now that for the ones that are unable to make it tonight because of illness, Father, will you touch their hearts and will you strengthen them in this hour and heal their bodies in Jesus' name. And Lord God, for the Kirkpatrick family, Lord, their hearts are broken. And yet their spirits understand that, Father, no one, as Lord Jesus says, though we die, yet shall we live because we die in him. And this young lady, Lord Jesus, is with you in spirit. It's not a loss. And even though her body, legs, 
lies in the morgue right now. Lord, we know that soon and very soon, all of your children is going to be resurrected. You're going to speak the word and the graves are going to be open and your children's bodies are going to come out. That's our blessed hope. You are our hope. And so tonight around the world, uh, the mother and son that was killed in Keystone Heights, Lord, in a car accident, a mother and a 10-year-old son, we ask that you be with that family. And then the children that was lost, lives lost in that bus accident and the tragedy of that in Tennessee and the hatred that may have flown through the heart of the bus driver. We ask, Lord God, that you bring healing and comfort by the Holy Ghost into the hearts and minds of the families that have lost loved ones. And for the children that are hospitalized, Lord, we ask that you heal them both in body and spirit because the spirit don't understand why, why they were hurt. Lord God, and that their, their classmates will not be with them anymore. Will you bring healing to these children, Jesus? And dear Lord, for those that need to be saved, the greatest tragedy is not losing a child in a car accident. The greatest tragedy, is, Lord Jesus, is when a person loses his soul for eternity because he or she refused to accept you as their Lord and Savior. And so, Father God, we're asking that tonight, around this globe, that you would touch hearts and minds Remove the blindfolders that the evil one had placed on them. Remove the hardness of heart so that they can understand the, 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 the life-giving gospel by your Holy Spirit and turn from their wicked ways and turn to you and be saved. Lord, for Lawrence tonight, we'll ask Father for a special touch of your presence with him, Jesus. As we, as your word go out and not return into your void, but accomplish that which pleases you in his life tonight. The word is alive and well and powerful than any two-edged sword in his life, Lord. Speak by the Holy Ghost to him and every one of us, God. And thank you for bringing Zora and Marquise home safely to us, Father, once again. And we pray, Father, for others that are around the world, our soldiers and their families, especially our soldiers that are in Iraq and Afghanistan, and even those that are on the DMC in, in between South and North Korea. Will you be with them in this hour, O oh God? And for our president-elect, Donald Trump and his family and his cabinet members, Father, will you give them grace tonight in Jesus' name? Will you put upon them an endowment of your spirit for they need wisdom from on high. Lord, and the, the greatest need of all is your presence in the White House. They need your spirit with them. And Lord Jesus, will you, will you go to this man and humble him and help him to see your face and embrace you with all of his heart we know that his vice president is a Christian man. But Lord God, will you allow his life be a witness to President-elect Donald Trump? 
Allow this nation to begin to pray for him, to intercede. For you told us to pray for our leaders. And all our leaders, our governors and our mayors and commissioners, all of those that's pointed in authority over us need your presence with them. And so does our law enforcement, oh God. Four officers killed over the weekend, a shot. We ask, dear God, that you be with them. Those that are still recovering from their wounds, bring healing in Jesus' name. And the ones that lost loved ones, Father, will you bring, will you bring comfort? And for those that have received injustice at the hands of the law, oh God, will you allow your justice to come forth? Let it pour down like rain. Have your way, God. Now we ask that your Holy Spirit be with us and teach us and guide us. As you stand in our presence, you say, we're two or three are gathered in your name and we're gathered in the name of Jesus right now. Be with us, Father. Be with us by your Spirit right now. And teach us your living word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I normally would have had you all join, I mean, saying your prayer also. I want you all to think of something right now. It just came to my heart. In Zechariah chapter 3, you don't have to turn there. I want you to understand that the man of God was being opposed by Satan himself. The high priest named Joshua. Interesting, huh? The same name that Jesus has in Hebrew, Joshua. And as the high priest was standing there, Satan was bringing accusations against him. And you know what God's testimony was about Joshua, his high priest? He told Satan, he said, the Lord rebukes you. This is one who's like a, 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 a brand that's plucked out of the fire. Meaning that God said, even though he's been through some tough times, he's been purified in the fire. Then he looked over and told his angels, he said, take those filthy rags off of him and put on clean garments and take the turban, the, the hat from him and put on a clean one. And there are times in which everybody that the Lord himself have to fight these battles, what we go through on earth. That's what this church is going to learn. And when we call on the name of the Lord, he answers. He hears and he answers. And back up here in, in chapter 1, Paul is just, he's describing some wonderful things Let's look at verse 15. It says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your what love for all the saints. That's a testimony right there. Every child of God need to not only have faith in God, but we need to have love for one another. It amazes me how much foolishness that goes on in the house of God. I mean, it tears my heart out when God's children are constantly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Going out to each other is is absolutely foolishness. But this church, Paul said, is what? He said, I, therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for 
all the saints. Now that's the testimony. Do not cease to give thanks for you. Paul said, I'm thanking God for what I'm hearing. I'm thanking God for you. And I do that for WOC too. I pray for WOC all the time. And not only us, but other saints around the world. And it said, make a mention of you in my prayers. And this is important. We cannot be a selfish people. And every time Clinton goes before God in prayer, Clinton can't just be thinking about Clinton. Clinton has to be thinking about Greg. Sammy got to be thinking about Greg as much as he annoys me. Okay. Thinking about Greg. Uh, Shelly got Shelly does more than think about him. I mean, both of them, right? That police is little <laughs> butt up and took him to the emergency room and taking care and make sure he lives and seemed like everybody in the neighborhood. And and, and and W C has seemed like we, along with other things, have adopted him and, and taken care of him. And that's what God requires. God requires love to be among the brethren. It said, verse 17, and, and there is a colon out the prayer in, in my Bible, meaning that Paul is about to give some instructions. Okay? That the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, never forget to give God the glory. Because that's what he's doing here. And, and throughout all of Paul's letters, there's a fancy Greek word called doxology. Doxology, if you just literally translate it, means the study of glory, but it's also a label means to give glory to God. And this man never ceased to do that in his letters. He has modeled his life after the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because throughout Lord Jesus' ministry, in the four <laughs> gospel, we see it consistently recorded where Jesus always gave God what? The glory. He never took credit for himself. And that's what we have to do. And um, well, he's looking on, he said, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Okay, let's stop there for a minute, Deacon Clinton, because you seem to be the pivotal one tonight. So, because you, you got the target hat on tonight. So, you, you're it. But may give to you the spirit of what? Wisdom and revelation. There are some that teach today that there are no more revelations given. How many times have you heard me come in here and say, you got to hear this. You, you got to hear this. Look what the Lord just, just told me. Okay? And, and I'm laying up in the couch, on the couch or laying in bed or sitting down or driving and the Spirit shows me things about the Word of God or about the kingdom of God. And I can't wait to share it with you. Sometimes I can't even get it out. My words are going faster than my thoughts because I'm so excited. And then other times I, I mess it up really bad because God says, see, I told you to keep, your, keep that one to yourself. All right, because it's not real. It's, uh, some people can't take what God shows you. So some things, God wants you to keep it to yourself. Anyway, but the Holy Spirit, it is his job to teach us the deep things of God. The, the, the mysteries of God are no longer hidden from the Gentiles. And that mystery Paul will describe in his letter to the Colossian church, he says, 
the hope of Christ in you. That is the mystery of the gospel. The hope of Christ in you. Okay? Now, why did he have to tell us the spirit of wisdom? Why is it essential for Christians to have a spirit of wisdom in them? Why? The whole book of Proverbs is a book of what? Wisdom. The book of Ecclesiastic is a book of wisdom. The Psalms are, uh, 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 depicts two things. It's a book of praise and a book of wisdom. Okay? When you read Psalms 119, it's just full of wisdom. When you go to Proverbs chapter 8, Solomon said, wisdom is talking. And it says, I was here when you created what? The world. So I was with you from the beginning. Wisdom is something else, isn't it? And then there's another gift from God called understanding. And Solomon would write in Proverbs chapter 3, he says, and young people got to get this part. He said, in all you're getting, okay, get an understanding. Simple but deep. You know why there are so many ignorant Christians? Because they don't take the time to sit and allow God to teach them. What did that word mean? What did I tell y'all to do sometime? I said, go look it up. Pull one of the books off the shelves. Research it. And understand that sometimes when you look it up, you got to look that up. Yeah, and it'll take you. And next thing you know, you got several books. Don't, we do that sometimes, don't we? And you have several books right here going, we've done it, haven't we? He's going, wow, that's gone. Chase the answer. Chase the answer. But when you come to the conclusion, you go, oh, man, that's some good stuff. But we okay. Go through all that. Yeah. <laughs> but why? Because God said so. <laughs> he took you down that path of wisdom and understanding. And in the middle of both of them is what he calls in the next part of that verse is knowledge. Yeah, knowledge. That means how do you know? That means knowledge is to the Middle of wisdom and understanding. Now, let's talk about knowledge for a moment. Knowledge comes from the Greek word Gnostic. Uh, uh, not Gnostic, but uh, <coughs> uh, Nagosto. Ah, I'm getting the tongue tight. Pick a word, come on. <laughs> You're going to pick on me tonight, aren't you? Okay. Gnostic, okay, is a form of saying that I have an intimate understanding of something. It's not just a casual way of looking at things. That means I know explicit explicit details about something. All right? Gnostic? Mm-hmm. So it's the root word for agnostic. Well, actually it's not because agnostic is a compound Greek word. You have ah means no and gnostic means right. knowledge. So I wouldn't say it's a root word since they're a compound. One thing when you do, she's talking to a Greek scholar. Who said so now. <laughs> you, yeah, I did. I actually did. I was just having some fun. Uh, bingo. Um, so look, look at what he says here. 
He says, revelation and the knowledge of him. Who's him? That's what uh, uh, baffles me is that God doesn't grow you for you. Did that make sense? Mm -hmm. God does not grow you for you. God increases knowledge in you for, okay. for him. And for you to teach others. So, but it's still all about what? Him. And, and in this case here, the one that representing God is Jesus. You can't know God without knowing Jesus. Jesus. When you pick up the Old Testament, <laughs> as much as we read the word God, every bit of it points to his son, Jesus. Jesus. And like I told you before, we would challenge anyone, and not that we want to, but majority of the Bible is centered around God's son. God gives us very little information about him, but a whole lot about his son. That's right. But when you get in the sun, you will see everything you need to know about the father. That's he declared, yeah. <laughs> okay, so more than declared, though. More, see, that's why I wish this thing would have been working tonight, because when I was looking at in Hebrews, a very peculiar book to some. Have you ever read it? Anyway, in Hebrews chapter 1, In verse 2, it says that Jesus, here's a fancy Greek word for you, Shelly. Ready? Mm -hmm. Hypothesis. Hypothesis. Hypothesis means that it is the exact nature or the exact item of something. This bottle of water, when I pour this water in that bottle of water, is it still not? And you, when you pick that up, you can't distinguish that one bottle from the other that I poured in there. Not <coughs> because it's all what? That's what that word means. Jesus was every bit of God. Some say hypostatic union. That might be the third verse. It is the third verse. I was going to say verse 3. Sometimes I get my tongues going faster than my mind. But actually, we really were going to say uh, verse 3. But in that, he said something so unique. And King James mistranslated that word. It should have been translated as substance or nature. Jesus is the exact substance or exact nature as the Father. So he didn't do anything different that the father would not have done. Why? Because they have the same mind, the same spirit. This is the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his it, being. Right, which comes from hypo, yeah. hypothetic. Okay. Huh? Break that word up. Hyper, hypo means what? Slow. No. Hypo? Hypo means... Hypothetic union. Hypo. Hypo in Greek means like, whoa! I mean, just blow your mind. Okay. Now, anyway, 
so he's just saying here, in verse 18, he's saying, the eyes of your understanding being what? Enlightened. What does enlightened mean? When someone enlightens you with something. Yeah, all of a sudden it's like the light bulb goes off upstairs and you go, whoop, there it is. Got it. And <laughs> it puts you in a different sphere of every other human on earth. Because now God, by the Holy Spirit, has just shown you something about himself that the rest of the world doesn't, doesn't have. And when I'm talking about the rest of the world, I'm going to talk about those who are not saved. It is impossible for a professor in college to teach this Bible who's not saved and receive the same revelation knowledge as you from the Holy Ghost. He cannot get it. The Holy Spirit will not give it to him unless he's about to do something with that man. And it could either be for judgment or for salvation. Okay? Unless the Spirit of God opens a man's mind, he will not understand this gospel to the point of needing salvation. To them, it's just another book. That's why Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And it says that to the Jews, they were just like, what? And to Greeks, foolishness. Because remember, Greeks, they thrived on what? Wisdom. Wisdom. That's where we, they, they get the term philosophers. Mm -hmm. The word philosopher comes from the Greek word Sophia, which means wisdom. You got it, girl. You are remembering this stuff. You're awesome. Now, Lawrence, how, how are we doing tonight? You hanging in there, buddy? Okay, any of this making sense to you? You see why we don't rush through the scriptures? And it's line by line and precept upon precept. We don't teach from there. This is the word of God, okay? So, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. So as you study the scriptures, as the Holy Spirit open your mind to understand then you know what God wants you to do. Because people, I don't know what God wants me to do. I'm going, yes, you do. <laughs> well, what are you talking about? I said, you just won't, you don't want to do that because it will require you to do something that you don't want to do. You want to, you, you got to come out of your comfort zone. You got to change some stuff about you. You may even need to stop some stuff. You may even have to move to a new location. Amen. Change some friends. Mm -hmm. Okay? Go to some new people that you've never seen before that may even speak a different language than you. For the effort. Make yourself okay? uncomfortable. Charles Finley went to China. <coughs> dressed like the Chinese. Blended with the culture. And then you know what the Chinese says? He is one of us. And when he shared the gospel with them, guess what? They received it. Why? Because they saw him as what? One of them. So this gospel is designed for you to know what God expects of you. Bible study is not 
designed for you to come and get a fat belly on knowledge. Bible study is designed so you can know what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the hope of glory, wants you to do. And then you go out and do it. Not keep coming to church, to the same church, sit on the same pew, year after year after year after year after year. I expect to see this man in the near future out as a pastor of a church somewhere. I expect to see this young man on the mission field somewhere. And this young lady. Whatever the Lord Jesus Christ say do, I expect them to be obedient enough and have the word of God in them enough to say, okay, Lord, here I am, send me. Like the prophet Isaiah said when God asked the question, who will go for us? And what did he say? Here I am, Lord, send me. That's the kind of revelation knowledge we want you to get from the word of God. When God says, Shelly, pack up again. You say, but God, we just moved here not long ago. And God said, go to a land that I will show you. Does that passage of scripture sound familiar to you all? Where does it come from? Abraham. Oh boy, you own it. That's right. And that's the kind of obedience God expects from his children. Belinda and I have just recently talked. And I said, sweetheart. Matter of fact, she said to me, she said, Sammy, if God opens a door for you to go somewhere else, are you going to go? I said, you betcha. She said, me too. I'm ready. That means we may get a few more folks are coming than us. That's right. But <laughs> that's right. You better hush up, girl. But we are going. We're going to the promised land. Minnesota. I don't like the cold, but Father, you, did you hear that? <laughs> right. And this is really crazy because I've been having dreams about going, oh my Lord, this one place is snow everywhere and I was a new pastor. Wyoming. And it was Wyoming. I love Wyoming. It sure was. Colorado. <laughs> no, it was Wyoming in the dream. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> and she had to say it. <laughs> anyway, back to the word of God, everybody. Um, so say what number one, you would know the hope of the calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Uh, what has Christ invested in you? Because inheritance means that Christ had invested something in us and he's going to get a return. Right? I tell you what that inheritance is. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11, it says, even though he, he will look at the anguish of his soul and be satisfied. What does that mean? When he suffered on the cross for you and me, the end result is that he have now gotten a people in which he bought with his own blood. And he says to himself, it was worth it. It was worth it to die for them, to be beaten like that for them, because he himself is worthy. And that's a revelation knowledge. Verse 19, and what an exceeding greatness of his power towards 
us who believe. Do you understand the reservoir of power that's available to the saints from the Lord Jesus Christ other than what you just reading, Shelley? Busted. Anyway, you got to understand that when you call on the name of Jesus, there's power, right, Aiden? And the name of what? Jesus. Come on, devils flee at the name of Jesus. Jesus. Mountains are moved at the name of Jesus. The Bible says someday God is going to do what? Bring every mountain, what? Low. And every valley, he's going to do what? Exalt. In every crooked place, he's going to do what? Make it straight. And I tell you, God is going to do it. And Jesus, as it says in Hebrews, where you just were. Three. Right? What did he say he does with his mouth? He upholds all things through the power of his what? Word. In other words, every day that this universe is held together, is held together by the word of Jesus. Every day. And people take that for granted because, well, some do, but I think it's out of ignorance that most don't know. Okay? And here, it said, the greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. So it's all about him. Once again, Brandon, it's not about you. What Jesus does in your, in your life is not about you. Your capabilities, your abilities, or anything, your charisma, whatever way you want to dress it up, is not about you. It's all about him. Okay? And... So according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand and in the what? Heavenly places far above what? Ahead. No, 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 no. Far above what? All what? Rulers are principalities. It's the same word that they'd be translated as rulers or principalities. Uh, and what? And authority or power, i got to look in the Greek and see if that's actually power or authority because they're actually two different words. Okay? Mike says authority, power, and dominion. Yeah, Mike and dominion, and it could be. And every name that is what? Every name that is what? And every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also what? That means the new, new world. Do you all just, do you understand what was just read there, what Paul just laid out there to the Ephesians church? Here's one word that he uses over in Colossians, preeminence. That means God has given Jesus the preeminence. What does preeminence mean? Let's see all these smart people here. Zora is a very smart person. Preeminence is a compound word. So, What's the first part of that word? Pre before. Means before, okay? Predestined. Like predestined, but pre means before. Okay, so what's the next word in that word then? Eminence. Eminence, which means what? Going. No, it's not that kind of em you're thinking eminent. Okay. Wow. Eminence is honor. Okay. That God has given him the preeminence. Otherwise, God before time had honored his son Jesus. Okay. Okay? He honored him long before creation. And that's why it says giving him a name that's above 
All names. Okay. And we will see that written over in the book of Philippians. And we see it in Revelation. We see it everywhere where Jesus is exalted above everything. In the book of Hebrews, also, that's going to be your next book I want you to read. Hebrews. So it says that having given him a name more excellent than that of the angels. Okay? And I remember my buddy, okay, Gabriel, what he told John the Baptist's dad. When John the Baptist's father doubted that God was going to give him a child. Yeah, you remember what Gabriel said to him, though? What was his declaration? You can speak when the baby's born. Ah, uh -uh, what he told him before that? Before that, that's what she was just giving us. What, what, did, what did Gabriel say before that? What did Gabriel say to John the Baptist's dad, to Zechariah? told him because he didn't believe. Ah, no, 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 no. Before all of that, he gave his resume to him. He said, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. Woo! Now, you, what are you going to do? <laughs> and this angelic being, standing out, this majestic being, standing and he told you, you don't know who you just messed with. I am God's messenger. I come directly from God himself. Man. And even Jesus' name is more excellent than Gabriel. And then the mighty warrior, what's his name? What's that mighty warrior name? Say it again. Michael. Jesus' name is greater than Michael's. Man, when you think about, huh? These kids blow you away, don't they, Shelly? That Christian education is worth it, isn't it? Woo. Now, so, he's been given the honor that's above everything. What Paul just said. This is another form of doxology. And in verse 22, and he put all things under his feet. You see that again over in Colossians. The, the, the two letters, Colossians and the book of Ephesians, kind of mirror each other. It had been uh, a form of thought out there that they could have been the same letter, just addressed to different people, uh, churches. But they, they carry the same flavor <coughs> to them. Okay? Um. So it says, put all things on his feet. What does that mean? Somebody give me an example of what does put all things on his feet. Okay. All right. Well, you ever heard of the term footstool? In the United States, we have a laser board chair and, and I guess an unwall. Is that what it's called? Ottoman. Uh, uh, ottoman. Okay, um, well, is like a dresser, right? Okay, an ottoman is what you put your feet on, a footstool. Well, in the old days, in the synagogue days, the priest used to sit up high on a platform. So everybody kind of looking up at him a little bit. And then they had the place for their feet to rest on, footstool. 
Again, in the book of Hebrews, it tells you and I that God is going to told Jesus to sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's what I mean. Putting everything under his feet is like making them his footstool. Okay? So Jesus Christ is superior and creation is inferior. Never forget that. And, and he gave him to be head over all things to the church. Here's a thing that we like to say in the army. When you reach the top commander in the chain of command, we say the butt stops here. Okay, with Jesus in the church, the butt stops with who? Jesus. Jesus. Because whatever the son says, the father's going to do what? Honor it. You betcha. And the Jews couldn't understand that because they knew by him saying he was the son of God over in John chapter 10 when they picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus said, which of these good works you stoned me for? They said, for the good works not, but for you being a man, make yourself what? Equal to God by saying you're the son of God. That's why they wanted to stone him because they know that whatever Jesus says, that means <laughs> it's a done deal with God. Okay? Why do you think the Sea of Galilee did not sink him? Because it was like God walking on them. All right? Why do you think the wind didn't all go back and kept blowing? When Jesus spoke, the wind did what? Shut up. And the waves ceased to do what? Roar. Why? Because their creator, as it says in Colossians, and also in that blessed book, that Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. That's right. So, He's really opened our eyes to the absolute superiority of Jesus Christ. Okay? He's the head of his church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. If a man feels that his life is incomplete, that's because that man never met Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ is the fullness of God. And when Christ comes into a man, that man's life is complete, a woman. As it says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, Shelley's going to quote me on it, and I know she is. He said, for your life is hidden with Christ in God. Look it up real quick, Shelley. And so, so for our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Now, when you think about wait. verse three, the sun and the radiance. Wait, yeah. Uh, Shelley, Colossians. The other way, Shelley. Go back, go back, go back the other way. Shelley, 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 go back that way. I was. You told me further. We're going back. Go. No, 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 no. Go back that way. I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> Keep going. No, Shelly, go. You can't guide a blind person. <laughs> yeah, but you can sure slap one <laughs> with love. Colossians, out the book of Philippians. If you were in the book of, of Ephesians, you'd just go to the right. Whoa, you're way back. You'd send me there. 
Is your that way that way? Oh. <laughs> Chapter three. You gotta love me. He was puzzling her all along. Come on, slowpoke. Molasses is slow, but you are really slow. Verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. Folks around the world, bow with us, please. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Aha. Our life is hidden with who? Christ in God. With Christ in God. Can you get that image in your mind? That we, me and Jesus now, we're inside God. We're one in God. Because it was fun. <laughs> we're one in God. Now, what devil in hell going to touch you if you're inside God with Christ? Go back to John 10.10, 10, you'll find out Jesus, not 10.10, 10, but John 10. Jesus said that no one is able to pluck you out of my hand. And then a little bit further in that same chapter, he says that no one is able to pluck you out of my father's hand, for my father is greater than what? Than I am. And so, man, that's some cool stuff. That's my book, boy. Yeah, that's, that's, that's just incredible. And so if we go on in the chat, what is the time? I have no idea of the time. I don't think it matters. That's right. Nobody has school tomorrow, so we're going another two hours. I don't know. I got to work earlier and be a Okay. And so look, in chapter two, here's where Paul is going to make a distinction between your former life and what you are now. And I think sometimes where people lose I don't know if losing faith is the right word, but maybe say losing encouragement is they forget where God has brought them from. And if God has brought them from a horrible life that was on a one-way ticket to hell to the life of eternal life with his son Jesus, wouldn't God also continue to see them through all the way to the end? And every now and then, this pastor, I, the Lord saved me 33 years ago. And, and every now and then, I get discouraged. And I come in, and Dick, Dick can tell, he can read me like a book and go, what's wrong? Going, what? And he said, it's all over you. Something's bothering you. I said, ah, oh, let's go. Now I'll change the subject real quick and, and move, move on to something else. But it said, listen what he says. This is, this is so powerful where the Holy Spirit laid this out, lays this out. He said, and you he made alive. Why is that important to know? I think you got to go back to the garden. What do you think? The day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And what did Adam and Eve do? They died spiritually, did they not? But in Christ Jesus, he made us all what? Alive. Alive. That's why you got to know how to connect the dots. And that's what the Holy Ghost is here to do, is help us to connect the dots. What? What is all that about? 
Is she orchestrating something back there? No, it just makes me think of like why are they saying about for reincarnation? Like, what? I don't understand. That is uh, a Hindu thing. That yeah, uh, really. I will have to teach a class on that one day because Jesus was considered the incarnated Christ. He was God in human flesh. So they use that term to express that. Uh, but you don't, come, for as Hinduism, uh, you don't come back as an animal or something else, okay? When you die in Christ, you rise in Christ, okay? Yes, sir. Oh, we'll talk about that a later day. I don't want to chase that rabbit tonight. Um, but it's not Buddhism, uh, young scholar. But we can we can examine those other religions later. I do have a book up there that gives us the the history of most religions of the world. Okay, so it's a good thing to study someday. Um, so he made alive who were what. Dead and what? And what? And sin. Is that not what happened to Adam and Eve that day? That's why they hid themselves from God? And so since we were not yet born and we were inside Adam, the Bible said that Adam carried us in his loins. And so when Adam died spiritually, guess what died spiritually? The entire human what? Race. So, but when Jesus Christ came, he gave life to what? The entire human race, all who believes in him, he gives life. So that's what it is, being born again there, Mr. Lawrence. You're right on it. John 3, 3. You must be born again from above. Shelly, quit yawning. Let's go on. Uh, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, and which you what? There's a word there that needs to describe something. Now, what is that word that's right before that verb? Been. No, that's a preposition. He said, Used. no, right before the word walked. Walked is the verb. What's the word? You. No, no. It's a which you once. Yours don't have the word once there? I know. Okay, we're in. We're in is also the same as once. I don't even say walk. Okay, what do yours say? Which you used to live with. Okay, walk and live are, are synonymous. They're just a different ways of expressing life. So, the, 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 the translation here is that the way that you used to live, okay, he just described that you were, you were dead to God at one time. That's right. All right? Amen. But when Jesus came, he made you and I alive and thousands and millions of others before us and currently with us and even after us okay until he returns and so according to the course of this world he said you once walked according to the course of what this world let me express something to you a little bit two things about this world number one in in james chapter four James described, he says that, don't you know that who, who, whoever is a friend of this world is an enemy of God? Oh, that's pretty deep, isn't it? Okay. And then on the back side, 
Jesus said on the night in which he was betrayed, he had just finished his upper room discourse, and he said his prayer in John chapter 17, and he said, Father, I pray for these who are what? In the world. He said, I pray that you don't take them what? Out of the world. He said, but that you protect them. He said, I have protected them with your name while I was in the world. He said, though, he said, just like I'm not of this world, they are not of this world, even though they are what? In the world. Did y'all get all that? So, what does that mean? Lawrence, you no longer belong to this world way of living. If we need to express what some of that means or describe what some of that means, okay. Uh, living the way you want to and ignoring the ways of God. Carousing, drunkenness, fornication, uh, you murder, stealing, cussing people out. Because he do talk about cursing, by the way, in this book here, in the book of Ephesians. He talks... He talks about cursing. Okay? Um, he talks about vituperation. Write that down, Brandon. He talks about vituperation. Okay? Vituperation is a formal way of saying profanity. That's what a college boy used. I'm messing with it. Vituperation. So what Jesus did when he saved you and I, he, the Bible says over in Colossians that God took and conveyed us from the kingdom of darkness, otherwise from this world <laughs> under Satan's influence, over into the kingdom of what? Of the son of his beloved, otherwise Jesus, the kingdom of God. And therefore, um, Jesus expects your life, even though as an infant Christian, he expects to see some changes. Okay? Cannot say you love God and Jesus and still live the same. I am a living example that the Holy Ghost is not going to leave you alone until you bring some changes. And some things are harder than others because we're stubborn. But yet, under the grace of God, that's why it says... Humble yourself in the sight of God, and he will do what? He will exalt you in due time. Brother James says in that same chapter, chapter 4. <laughs> and then if you back up a chapter, chapter 3, he talks about the tongue. An unruly what? Evil. Yeah, he says like what? Poison like snakes. To have all the beasts that man have tamed, there's one that he cannot what? Tame. And what is that? The tongue. And he called it a world of what? Iniquity that sets the world on fire. Woo! And then shall he really get poetic with it. He said, how can the same fountain bring forth sweet water and what? Bitter water. So how can you say you cuss your brother in one breath and turn around and bless God? And I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen. Praising God and they say, shut up, you son. I'm going, 
<laughs> How do you do that? <laughs> you know, man. Mm. Anyway, let's get ready to close close the night Bible study out here. Um, so, Shelley, here is the influence in which we have previously walked. And it's according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? Satan. Satan operates from the heavenlies. Brothers and sisters, be careful what you say because once it goes out over the airways, guess what? It belongs to who? It either belongs to God or belongs to who? Satan. Satan. <coughs> so watch what you say. And if you, as the word, as, as Solomon said in Proverbs, he said the power, he said there's life and death in the power of the tongue. And some thereby what? Love it. So you can bless men with your words, or you can curse men with your words. And watch Satan act on the cursing part. When the children of Israel was to come out of the wilderness and occupy the promised land, Moses gave the, one of the last commands to them. He gave Joshua. He said, I want you to take and divide the people when you go into the land. And in Israel, there were two mountains, roughly two miles apart. One was called Mount Gerizim and the other was called Mount Ebal. And he so said, I want you to put one half of the people on one mountain and, one, and the other half on the other mountain. And on the one, I want you to shout the blessings. Otherwise, if you obey God, these blessings will what? Follow you. Deuteronomy chapter 28. And he said, but if you disobey God, have the others shout the cursings. Because this is what's going to what? Happen to you. Did it not happen to Israel? Shelly, <laughs> when you read Deuteronomy 28, it will blow your mind. God. Whoa! How can people say God don't exist? Because this happened exactly the way he said it was going to happen with, the, with Israel. It was an ugly history, wasn't it? And he even told Moses that they would go back into slavery. Did they not go back into slavery? For 70 years in Babylon. Blew my mind. So, anyway, as we're going to close out, we're going to finish up... Um, in verse 3 here, but I just want to tell you that the prince of the power of the air is always listening. He's always listening. And he loves rumors. He loved the grapevine because that's what men destroy each other with. That rumor control. Right? The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And people don't, they, uh, most people out there don't know that they're under the influence of the evil one. They don't know, as John said, that the whole world lies sway under the evil one. The word sway means under the influence of Satan. Watch what you say. Watch what you do.
And it goes, among whom also we all once conduct ourselves in the lust of our flesh. Otherwise, whatever it pleased us to do, whatever brought us pleasure, that's what we what? That's what we do. That's what we do. That hasn't changed. And remember, that was one of the things that God had said about the human race right before he brought the flood. In Genesis chapter 6, he said, whatever came to the wicked imagination of man's what? Mind. That is what he what? Did. Yeah, and it's like in our time. Okay. America. And uh, last night, Matthew and I, we were talking a little bit about something secular and one of the commercials that came on television. And I really don't like bringing stuff up like this during Bible study, but we was talking about CoverGirl, the magazine. Now they got a boy on it. Mm-hmm. And it's really sickening. And, and even though it's a it's a worldly thing, but it go to show you the weakness of men's mind. If it feel good, do it. Because that's what our society teaches, and that's what our government support under the guise of the First Amendment, freedom of what? Speech and freedom of expression. God said you better bridle your mouth and you better watch what you do. Jesus himself said, every idle word that men shall speak, he shall be what? Judged by them. And they say they will either condemn you or do what? Justify you. So, folks, we have to be very careful. All right. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So whatever we think, boy, we really go after it. And let me tell you. Pastors are not excluded from this. I'm a living example. Because part of the anguish that digsing on my face was not because somebody had did me wrong. It was because I had did wrong in the eyes of God by the things that I was thinking. And that's why I wouldn't tell him because I was too embarrassed to tell him what I did. And so I had to go before God in Christ and say, Lord, this is what I've done. In the army, we call it falling on our sword. Fall on your sword, buddy. You better tell God because God already know. You better get your butt in the throne room and, and tell him. Because the, the master already knows these things. He's just waiting on you to come. All right. And whereby nature, children of wrath, just as the others. And I'll close with that phrase there in verse 3. In chapter 2, it says, whereby nature, we're children of what? Children of what? What does that say, Shelly? Wrath, children of wrath. What do your Bible say there, Shelly, in verse 3? Wrath. Wrath, God's wrath. Objects of wrath. It says, in our natural condition, we are headed for God's wrath. Okay, and that's okay too, which meaning that God's going to get you for that. Okay, <laughs> that's what it sums up to be. And, uh, but it did say by nature, what does that mean? Have you ever looked up the definition for the word nature? Nature means natural condition. Nature means raw instincts or basic instincts. You know, animals does not act by thinking. Animal acts on Impulse. Animals act on instincts. And so we call it second nature. 
I know in the Army we used to train and we used to say, do it, do it over and over again until it becomes second nature. nature. But sin, we don't need to practice sin in order to sin, right? Yep. <laughs> we, sin it's a sinful nature. It's going to come out in us anyway because that's what Adam gave us. But when Jesus Christ came, he gave us the very nature of God. In other words, the spirit of God in us, which is, does not sin. Okay? And Jesus is awesome in all of his ways. Uh, incredible how he did that. It blows my mind. God, well, how'd you do that? He said, don't worry about it, son. Just keep living. <laughs> he didn't say that to me. That's just Samuel Nelson saying it. But it sounded good, didn't it? Anyway, any questions? Any questions? I would say to you, dear Brother Lawrence and the rest, as Paul penned that letter to Timothy, he said to Timothy from prison, he said, all those who shall live godly shall suffer what? Persecution. Persecution. Well, one of the things that the enemy does is that he tried to establish long rangers and wonder women within the body of Christ. What do I mean by that? It makes you think that you can do things all by your Jesus Christ would not have called his church his body if it, didn't, if it wasn't made up of many parts. As Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and even in chapter 12, the body is made up of what? Many members. People like to say, well, I don't have to go to church to worship God. But that may be true under the right circumstances. But if, I, if it's out of a rebellious heart that you don't want to go to church, then you're not worshiping God. You're rebelling against God in the form of you calling it worship. Because as long as your heart is what? Rebelling, God is not what? Receiving it. And you know how we know God is not receiving it? Jesus made this statement. If you have an ought, according to King James Version, it's written like this. If you have an ought against your brother, he said, you come to the altar to offer what? A gift to God. And you have an ought with a brother or sister. He said, leave your gift at the altar. Other don't offer it. Go and be what? Reconciled. It's like yeah. Don't take communion if you got a problem with somebody else or with God. Get things what? Right. right. And so how then is it possible for you to worship God if you got a problem fellowshipping with other believers? It doesn't add up, does it? And I say to you and in, in myself, the Holy Spirit has never lied to any man. And he don't like liars. And he doesn't like deceivers. 
I'm a living example. If you belong to Christ and you mock these words, not M-O-C-K, not M-O-C-K, mock, but mark, M-A-R-K, mark these words, Brandon, wake up. Listen. Revelation chapter 3, verse 19 says this, and we're close, we're closing in this. Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. I know Deke gonna go there. That's why I kept saying it. Verse 19. What does it say to you and I? I know you're ready. To <coughs> what does it say? What are we talking about? Revelations what? As for me, I rebuke and discipline everyone I love. So exert yourself and turn from your sins. Hmm. Sorry, I'm reading the uh, the uh, the Jewish Bible. Oh yeah, the one I like. That's the one I have downloaded right now. So. That's awesome. I'm glad to see you stepping outside your comfort zone. Um, King James Version says, uh, "Now, yeah. yes, and to do what? To be zealous and." And repent. and repent. So Jesus said, if I love you and you belong to me, I want to spank your butt. Okay? You better be quick to it. You said be quick and change so that he doesn't, right? Don't get smacked. Yeah. And then the next verse people often misunderstand is in verse 20. He says, behold, I knock at the door. What was it? He, that's tied in with the verse that he just gave us, right? He say, I'm, I'm ready to come in. That means you better be done repentant. Don't be playing games because he's serious about his relationship with you. He says, many as I love, I do what? Chasing. He said, but be zealous and repent. And he said, I'm knocking at the door now and I want you to let me in. If not, I'm going to chasten you. In other words, have your heart right with him. Go back and love him and love others. All right. Enough said. Deacon going to close us in prayer. Very powerful word, and we want everybody to know continually around the world that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Son of the living God. There's absolutely no other way in which men can be saved. We can never get too tired of telling the world this timeless truth. All other religions cannot save you. Only Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection can save you. He has done that. Place your trust in him. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Father, we thank you for gathering us all here today to hear the message you have sent to each one of us for things that you would ask of us to do in your glory. Um, we thank you for all that you have done for us, for dying on the cross, for us to save us from our own sins that we have committed. Yes, Lord. We thank you for everything you bless us with, and we ask that you 
keep watch over us and make sure to remind us which way we're supposed to go. Um, thank you for the wisdom you've given us tonight. Um, thank you for everything that you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.